0: Yeah, step step forward, Lord. Thank you for these moments together here, for uh, a chance to talk together, to think together, to look to you together uh, about a matter that um, is often one that we don't address head on. And I pray, Father, that you would use um, our time together, those that will contribute, and those that have thoughts and questions uh, that. Collectively and together we might find wisdom and hope and joy in the journey that we're in. We thank you and pray that you would be with us now in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, we've, um, we've, uh, the, the origin of this, um, it just happens that we, found, we picked today because of what else is going on. Uh, we wanted to, um, to provide something. Uh, parallel to the uh, soft start to Sunday school, and we thought this would be a good uh, Sunday to begin a conversation that we expect will continue beyond uh, what we will do in these moments together. Um, a couple of people are going to help me uh, through this, and uh, you're going to hear from, from them in some particular ways, but um, we uh, the bulletin has read week after week. Uh, a Forum on Caring for Aging Parents, and that is the bulk of what we will talk about today. But if you'll note on the handout, the title reads a bit different than that. A Forum on Aging, Providing and Receiving Care, uh, because there's two sides to that story, right? There's two sides to that coin, and um, that both sides are really, really important. And I think when we finish here in a few minutes that you will... Um, begin to feel a little bit more of what is on both sides of that coin about offering and providing and actually receiving care. Uh, so that's our, that's our track, the track we're going to run on. Um, listen to these couple of things. We're not going to read everything on this three-page handout, uh, but I do want to highlight a few things uh, as, a, as just sort of a, uh, a, a game plan for this morning. Um, there are lots of voices of, on wisdom, and I've just selected a few here just uh, to kind of set the tone and direction. I did not know the name Henri Amiel until I ran across it uh, in preparation for this week. But um, not a believer as far as I know. I mean, could be. I just have no idea. But his words seemly, seem to ring true and set the frame for what we are doing To know how to grow old is the masterwork of wisdom and one of the most difficult chapters in the great art of living. Uh, How to grow old. So uh, hear that for yourself as well as for those that you uh, are caring for or will one day care for. Knowing how to grow old is is an art and difficult. Um, But it is something that with the gospel that we have every every resource and capacity to grow old well. Um, A friend once said to me, Tony, let's grow old together. And I don't remember now how I answered the question, but I I heard that question. I remember the question uh, recognizing uh, here's somebody that was intending to, to do so. To, to grow old well uh, together. Uh, David Pallison is uh, one that I've uh, continued to learn from. He says, We exercise a willful blindness, a refusal to look at the obvious in our culture and to, real, and to the real meaning of aging. Uh, in our culture, medicine has taken over the topic. Aging and dying have become medical events as opposed to the meaning events that they are. And so our conversation today, forum actually means public conversation. So uh, you, you're going to hear from a couple of others. And I really want to invite your comments and questions or thoughts with the limited time we have today. But, but please do raise a hand with a comment or a question you know, as we go. Uh, but, we're, but, at the, but what we're trying to do is to... Zero in on the meaning of aging and living well and even dying. Uh, that that's a conversation that we should be having as a church, uh, as a body of faith, as a community of faith. Um, and uh, again, the Valley Vision is always seems to be on target. Teach me in health to think of sickness, in the brightest hours to be ready for darkness, in life prepare me for death. Um, and then I'm just going to zero in on one of these uh, passages that, that I uh, think is uh, certainly pertinent as we think about age and old age and caring for those that we love. Uh, and I wanted to just look at Psalm 71. You're familiar with Psalm 90, teaches the number of days, I, I think. Uh, Psalm 71, maybe a little less so in this, in this regard. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, for my youth. O God, for my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent, but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might. To another generation, your power to all those who come. And then Psalm 92, "The righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. S- they still bear fruit in old age, and they are ever full of sap and green. Um, I wanted us to begin there, and maybe even in there, <laughs> in a sense. It's this notion that even into my old age, um, there is fruit to be born. Um, you, some of you've heard me quote uh, some of our uh, a friend of many of ours uh, Charles McGowan who says no you don't retire you, you merely redeploy uh, you redeploy in ways that fit with your intellectual and physical capacities and he has modeled that out if you know Charles uh, you would you would have no idea that he's the age that he is uh, I can't keep up with him at times um, but it's that idea of what does it mean to, um, to continue to bear fruit even if it looks different or takes on a different uh, trajectory. But a, a, a faithful life to the end is what we're talking about. So let us run with endurance the race set before us with our eyes on Jesus. Uh, that's just uh, approach, a runway, a ramp into this conversation that we want to think about together. Um, I'm not going to read what you can read later. That's a waste of your time and my voice. But, um, but I think you can read through and make some sense of uh, these words from David and I said I've quoted him often and thoughtfully and continue to learn. But he talks about positive gains that aging brings and felt losses that always accompany it. I do want to zero in on the felt losses just for a moment. Not to minimize the gains and, and do, uh, do your homework and read through those, but uh, think about uh, the people that, uh, not the people, but think about uh, as we, we age, here are some of the things that we can expect that our senses dim, that our sense, there is sometimes a sense of being set aside. Uh, there's, uh, my apparent usefulness may fade. Um, I may need more help than I'm able to give. That's a reality. Um, I may outlive friends. Um, I may lose my baseline healthiness. Those are felt losses that are either yours presently or to come or certainly things that when you think about the people that you're caring for. Uh, My own story, I I don't want to dwell on this. Some of you heard me talk about this, but it was It was a desire and an ability to care for aging parents is really what uprooted us from Charlottesville, Virginia after 24 years in one place. And it was to return to Middle Tennessee to care for um, a mother and a father that were in different stages of dementia and physical uh, uh, limitations. We just couldn't figure out a way to do it any other way. I've told people for every, every person that does what we did to relocate, it's usually the other way around. We just didn't have a good uh, remedy, a, a good uh, answer to that. And, and largely because both of my parents were dealing with dementia. And when you're around dementia, you know that. about the only thing that really helps, that is helpful, is familiarity. So we were at a stage in life where we, we were empty nesters. We didn't we weren't desiring to relocate, but when we started looking at the picture it, and we prayed our way through it, I do think that's important. If you heard the sermon this morning, uh, it's, it, it, it's hugely important to seek God's face in all of these things, and so my answer would be different from yours and from one another, but, but, but the, one of the reasons we're doing this today is We don't need to think through and try to make all those decisions in a vacuum and in a silo that we can learn from one another, that we should learn from one another uh, about matters like this. Um, So uh, that was a little bit of our story. And from that, so starting 10 years ago, this matter began to matter to me. And now here I am. I turn 65 next May. And I'm thinking, you know, about my kids and kind of where will we be in 15 years? Um, uh, our culture is getting older. Baby, uh, every day, 10,000 baby boomers turn 65 in this country. 12 years from now, 18% of our population will be 65 or old and older. 18%. I mean, that's just a lot. <laughs> And uh, it's, so it's a growing need. We need to learn not only how to care for our parents uh, or to receive care from our children. We need to think as a church, I, I offer that to you, as uh, what would it look like for us to um, be prepared to help one another to deal with uh, um, the matters that are before us and that some of us are in the midst of. Um, So here's what we're going to do with our time. I said a couple of people are going to help. Sharon, come on up. Sharon is uh, has was happy, I think, when I asked if she'd be willing to do this uh, just from the mic here, just so that the back row can hear you. But but this is a little one snapshot of one of us in the moment dealing with these matters and the lessons lessons learned. So thanks, Sharon. Good
1: morning. I'm going to read (laughs) what I want to say this morning. Um, The first thing I want to start with is uh, to read you the words from uh, a song written by Keith and Kristen Getty um, from their CD, Hymns for the Christian Life. And the name of the song is Before You I Kneel. Before you I kneel, my master and maker, to offer the work of my hands. For this is a day you've given your servant. I will rejoice and be glad. For the strength I have to live and breathe, for each skill your grace has given me, for the needs and opportunities that will glorify your great name. Before you I kneel and ask for your goodness to cover the work of my hands, for patience and peace to shape all my labor, your grace for thorns in my path. Flow within me like a living stream, wear away the stones of pride and greed till your ways are dwelling deep in me and a harvest of life is grown. This has been my daily prayer as I care for my father Jack and my mother Jean. Dad will be 85 in September and mom will be 80 in November. Dad has a history of illness over the last 16 years including diabetes, blindness, hearing loss, high blood pressure, heart disease, and cancer. And my mom has cared for him faithfully. The first week of July, Dad was admitted to the hospital for weakness, dizziness, and anemia. He was diagnosed with two cancerous tumors in his colon, and his only option for cure was surgery to remove his entire large intestine. Um, The surgeon and oncologist counseled him that due to his already weakened condition, this major surgery with a difficult recovery would probably result in him losing his current quality of life. So dad made the decision to return home with um, palliative care, and mom agreed. But she had not expected uh, to uh, return home again with uh, another diagnosis of cancer. Um, she was already physically tired from caring for dad over the last six months as he had grown weaker and I'm unable to care for himself. In the morning of his discharge, I entered his room, and she told me her heart was racing and her back was hurting. And I took her to the emergency room and she was diagnosed with a heart arrhythmia related to the stress. Mom has always been in good health so I never anticipated her having medical issues at the same time. I'm a retired registered nurse and have anticipated this day coming for dad. Thankful to have skills to care for him in this season of life of his life I moved in with them to care for mom so uh, care for dad so mom could rest. A week later at a follow-up appointment The oncologist told us that because of dad's prognosis, he was eligible for hospice care, and dad accepted this, but mom, obviously, (laughs) that was hard for her. Uh, This leads me into what Tony has asked me to share this morning. Sorry, I'm nervous. (laughs) What I'm learning. First, what you think is helpful to your parents may not be received or perceived as helpful. Although my parents are thankful to have a daughter who's a nurse, they have had difficulty receiving counsel from me as a nurse. Once mom accepted the reality of dad's prognosis, she still believed it was too early in his illness to begin hospice care. She knew that I had personal experience with hospice when I cared for my mother-in-law who died from colon and liver cancer. I thought this would reassure her. I explained that Hospice care is a blessing for those who desire to live out the remainder of their lives in comfort at home and provides compassionate and supportive care for the patient, respite care for the caregivers, 100% Medicare coverage for medicines, supplies, uh, equipment related to the terminal illness. Uh, but sharing that experience, my experience with her of hospice, wasn't enough to assure her, and it <laughs> surprised me when she didn't believe me. Um, one other example, out of a heart's desire to help uh, her with her rest at home, I observed ways I could, I thought <laughs> ways that would be helpful for her uh, in doing things, household tasks around the house. And um, to my surprise again, she she um, felt like that was more um, overstepping my boundaries or um, taking over. So uh, I just learned, That even if you have the best of intentions, it's important to ask what will be helpful uh, instead of being presumptuous as to what you think is helpful. Um, Second, lay aside all expectations of how your parents will respond to you as roles reverse. Um, Because no matter how old you are, you're still their child. (laughs) And so um, that's hard for them to, uh, you know, they're the ones now that need the care and that can be hard. As a caregiver, uh, it is very important to have support, recognize your limitations, and ask for help. Changes and challenges occur frequently and suddenly. Uh, Give give yourself permission to take a break. The greatest means of support is having the body of Christ praying for my parents and me. My sister asked three of our mutual friends uh, to join her in praying for me daily. My home fellowship group and the prayer ministry here at Cornerstone are also lifting us up in prayer. On days when I find myself with uh, just a short time to pray, this is encouraging and comforting. My husband listens and counsels and supports me. My daughter, son and daughter-in-law offer help with my parents so I can take a time of respite. The hospice team offers four hours a week of um, volunteer help. uh, 24-hour, 24-7 access to nurses via video chat, a nurse's aide once a week, um, a social worker, chaplain, and inpatient hospice care for my dad uh, to provide respite care for mom and I. Fourthly, be mindful and plan ahead for the day when you will be on the receiving end of caregiving. That's been something that has really My eyes have really been open to um, the last five weeks. Uh, Consider your insurance options, the funds you will have available for your care, and talk with your family. Prepare your will, designate a power of attorney for medical and financial responsibility representation, and prepare a living will so that your family will be clear about what you desire for end-of-life care. I know that there will be much more for me to learn um, as in the days ahead. But the most important thing that I have learned from caring for my aging parents is that God's grace is sufficient. John Piper, in his daily devotion, Solid Joys, refers to 2 Thessalonians 1, 11, and 12, in which Paul says, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power verse 11, and then adds, at the end of verse 12, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Piper says, the power, actually, the power that actually works in our lives to make Christ exalting obedience possible is an exertion of the grace of God. So grace is an active, present, transformative, obedience-enabling power. The Father has answered my prayer by showing me His, His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient in my weakness when I am tired, weary, and unsure of the next step. His grace is sufficient to bring me to repentance and cover my sin when he reveals the thoughts and intentions of my heart on those days when frustrations consume it. I would like to close by reading 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. So therefore... I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, in difficulties, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, I am strong.
0: Sharon, thank you. Uh, Sharon and I did not coordinate what she said and what I wrote, and you'll see some definite overlap, and she said it very eloquently, and I'm not going to go over everything that's listed under caring for parents. I do want to mention a few things before we look at the other side of the coin. Uh, Here's one I'm glad I thought of that I wish somebody had urged me to think about sooner. Uh, as, my, as my parents were uh, aging, I, I asked the question one day, what will I regret if I never get to do with Dad? You know, what is it that has, that we have in, that would be a memory that uh, would be worth whatever it cost or took to accomplish? And I could only think of one thing. Now, there were probably a dozen more that I should have kept thinking about but he, he quickly said yes when I called him from Virginia one day and said, Hey, Dad, what would you think about getting a few of your friends and us going to see the St. Louis Cardinals play baseball in St. Louis? And uh, he jumped up and down, uh, or so to speak, as, as excited as he ever got. And, and the answer was yes, and we did, and we still have pictures, and I still uh, get to talk and, have, uh, and, and enjoy talking through the trip that my dad and I took with David White, who some of you know. David's David was was my dad's Bible study leader for 20 years or so. And David was on that trip uh, along with a couple of others. Um, But to think about that, um, to think of the pictures in the um, in the box of photos that I cannot identify, you know, who were those people? Where was that taken? Uh, little things like that are also just good memory memories uh, for an aging parent as well. And, you know, with with memory loss, sometimes uh, it's the long-term memory that outlasts the short-term memory. The other thing I do regret is we never found the family farm. We made an effort, but I waited too long. The farm that he visited when he was a boy, sp- uh, spending the night with his, his grandfather and his coon dogs uh, in East Tennessee and we waited too late to try to find the family farm. So I still don't know where it is. I've not given up on uh, finding it, but it won't be with dad. Um, But to think through things like that is a part of, um, uh, I was so looking forward to the delight that that would have been for him. Uh, But to think, just to kind of think big picture and uh, and to learn together, there's all kinds of things. My dad was very proactive when it came to uh, anticipating the day that he wouldn't be able to sign his name. Uh, he was very proactive and thinking about those things and um, medical records, uh, the key to the lockbox, you know, things like that, that, that he, I was grateful that he anticipated. Um, so with that in mind, I want to flip and, and, and look at the other side of the corner. And Emil has offered uh, to kind of give us a little bit of a window from that side. So come on up, Emil, and tell us a little bit of
2: the, your story. I guess I have less to say than, than some others. Um, as I look, look through the topics of what you should do and some of the things you alluded to, I've done them all. Uh, Talked to a lawyer, got all the forms filled up, my physician has all the forms, my son has copies of all the forms. Um, and I didn't want to ever ask my son to have to rush in and check things and find things. It's, uh, uh, I, I really worked very hard at letting him know exactly where they are, where the money is, where is it, <laughs> where are the count numbers. Uh, when uh, when my wife Wendy died suddenly in 2016, I knew I did not want to live in a four-bedroom house with three-and-a-half bathrooms, um, and I, I just just didn't want to do that. And um, and I discovered uh, pretty quickly that there are very few small homes between Franklin and uh, Green Hills, uh, they just aren't there. Um, So uh, fortunately or unfortunately, there was no way I was gonna buy one. Um, There are a few apartments until you get to Green Hills and then I would still be alone. And uh, I'm kind of an introvert, so I have to be forced to get out. And uh, if I were in my own apartment, that probably wouldn't work. So that left retirement communities, which I hadn't thought much about. A little bit, but not very much. Uh, and my son has a teenage son uh, with special needs. And um, uh, the time they spend, he and his wife spend, uh, with that child is, is incredible. And I didn't want to say, well, now you've got to help me. So what am I going to do? Um, So when I I decided that I would go to a retirement community, looked around, and uh, I found one, uh, a very expensive one, which is the downside, Uh, but it's between, where my son lives and where he teaches at Vanderbilt. And so if I do need someone to stop by, it's reasonably uh, close. Um, When I've been at, since I've been at Blakeford, I've learned a number of stories about why you should do something. Uh, You know, one fairly new resident told me about a friend. Uh, The husband was not doing well. He wasn't able to take care of the house and keep track of things, and the wife was doing just fine until she fell and broke a hip. And then she was in rehab, and their children had to come in and take care of the dad, sell the house, find where they would go, and I certainly didn't want to to be in that position. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, One resident, uh, told me that uh, his children arrived one day and said, you're moving. (laughs) Uh, But it was interesting, he's, he's, I'm not sure what his situation is, he's easy enough to talk to, but uh, he's not resentful in any way. But uh, he did not make the decision. Um, At the present time, in the Blakeford, I'm doing fine. I'm known as the guy who walks the fastest of anyone else. Uh, So, you know, I'm there, you know, I'm 79. Uh, I'm there a little bit early, although there are people who are not as old as I am. Um, So I'm doing fine. Um, At the present time, I have found a dear friend um, whose health has declined this past year markedly. And um, so what's going to happen is, is unclear. Uh, the people at Blakeford sometimes joke that you ought not to get close to anyone because they may suddenly decline. And um, the, so you should protect yourself in that way. But uh, the Christian is called to help the sick. And uh, at this time, I can easily walk down the hall up one flight of stairs and help someone who needs help. And um, that's, it, it, I said to my son a couple of weeks ago, I said, if I can't help anybody, I'm at risk to fall into depression. And he looked at me and said, I know that, which is sort of surprising. Um, my challenge is going to be to accept care when I decline. Uh, when I can't just walk down the hall and help somebody, but someone needs to come and help me, and uh, that will be that will be my challenge. So, that's my experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm doing okay, <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to think forward to you know what will happen. Probably.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Emil, very much. Uh, and again, he was very happy to kind of tell his story. Um, this asking for help. Um, is something that Paulison does address. And one of the things that you have on the handout, you can look at it later. He says, you know, one, one way to, is to recognize the difference the gospel makes in all of this. And I don't want to lose that note to what we're talking about. Uh, the gospel really does allow us to admit that we are weak. Normally when we say that, we're talking spiritually. <laughs> But it is true physically as well. The gospel allows us and enables us to acknowledge that we can't do what we once did. I'm regretting power washing the driveway yesterday, you know, and I'm feeling it uh, in ways I didn't used to, you know. Um, But but to enable, you know, to, to be able to admit kind of the reality because our identity is not wrapped up in vitality or strength. It's in the gospel. And, um, and there will be a day when I can't or shouldn't be on the ladder, you know, and, and things like that. And I just need to recognize that. Uh, Paulson says we ought to practice weakness. Practice needing help. Uh, truth and wisdom knows that we are weak and, and practices it throughout life. Asking for and receiving help from God and from each other. Um, let someone hold your elbow, you know, when you're shaky on your feet. Um, As Christians, we are the most realistic about this. And asking for help, Paulson says, is a form of courage, or or he would also say faith, and be unafraid to let others help. That's a part of this story that we're in, to think it all through. Um, there's all kinds of things. Um, I've got a, a, a relative on Mary Lynn's side of the family who's caring for um, a father who's, who's past 70, and he has had a form of Parkinson's for over 40 years. And uh, he just the family just now learned, because they didn't know to ask, about palliative care. Uh, I don't know when I first heard that word, uh, Sharon used it. I've got a handout up here uh, uh, that comes from the uh, center to uh, to make sure we you know what palliative care is, hospice care. You may have some general better idea. We hear that word a lot more often. But when do you move from one to the other? I asked uh, the geriatric psychiatrist that was dealing with my both parents that were still living at the time with various forms of dementia. When he learned that both of them had dementia. He wanted to see my father, who had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And he wanted to see them because rarely had he seen a couple kind of walk through all that together. Um, and I asked him, so how do you know when it's time to move from, uh, from home to a facility? And his answer was generic. You'll know. <laughs> and... Uh, and I, and I kept pressing him on it, and that's as far as he would go, but he was exactly right. I'll, I'll spare you the details, but it became evident when my dad was way past us being able to care for him at home, uh, physically and for his own health and dignity. It was, it was way beyond us. Um, you will find ways to do this, and, and you'll find them better uh, if you're talking with others about different remedies and and solutions, whether it's uh, one of the the many teams, uh, businesses that are set up to provide in-home care, or or in our case, what it turned out to be was a network of little, through our network here, we found family friends that formed a team to care when we couldn't, um, in ways that we couldn't. we live. We live in Brentwood. My parents lived in Westmead. and Somebody said once, "How are your How are your parents?" And so well, I said, "Well, I really don't know. It's sort of like having an eight and ten year old across town. They they're probably okay, you know, but I don't really know." And we knew we had to have uh, somebody in the house with eyes on the scene constantly, which you, Sharon was able to move in, which is. Um, certainly a remedy you've got specific questions we're we're about to run out of time I, I i do have a way to end this but if you have something that you'd like to either ask about or comment on that you've heard i uh, be happy to hear from either you your story or anything that you want to share that hasn't been covered yeah george uh what you didn't hear is thank you for for this george is going to be caring for two parents that are divorced and he's the only and uh, lord go go with you and before you <laughs> you know that's that's going to be hard yeah um, you just mentioned about the uh you have a
1: family
0: team yeah Can you describe yeah um, well we got to town, one a friend of mine said uh, he knew somebody caring for uh someone who was in the home stretch. You know it was just a matter of time it was It was hospice-like care that she was giving. And uh it was just asking around. So we had uh Erlen came in and spent it was an eight hour five day a week job for her. She came in and we paid her. We had a little 1099. She was a contracted house employee. Um, But we paid her once a week uh, out of funds, out of the dad's account, caring for my mother. And uh, in that case, we're watching dad grow unable to do much for himself, too. It eventually became clear that we needed somebody there when Earlene left. So when she would leave at 5, we needed somebody. So we found somebody that we offered a room and board, basically, to someone who came in and tag-teamed with Erlene. So they would talk to each other, how'd the day go, anything to know about. Um, And so... No, no. These These were trustworthy. Now, they were very capable, but not skilled medical. And at that point, we didn't need skilled medical. Um, In fact, by the time we needed skilled medical, both both were in other places. So you can find skilled medical care to come in. Um, But one of the things that that's why palliative care and hospice care, you do need to know about kind of what insurance will cover and won't. For that sort of thing. Most of the agencies that you kind of find, that advertise, that offer in-home care, my experience, you may have, if somebody may have different, but my experience is they don't handle medicines. And um, that's another level. And if you need them to handle medicines, it's different. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was, yes, the answer is yes, uh, one more than the other. Uh, my, my mother was as receptive and, and gracious for it all. Dad was a little, and his Alzheimer's was beginning to show itself. So there was a time when, um, if you know about Alzheimer's, you lose all filters and, and uh, anger. You know, uh, this is a man that we would never heard say or do the things we saw and heard, um, he yelled me out of the house on Christmas Day. I couldn't go in. We gave the help the day off, you know, and so I was going to be there. Starbucks is open on Christmas Day, by the way. You know, uh, just put that down. That's not in your notes. Uh, you might need that one yourself. Uh, but we really did have to get past. There were, there were several attempts to find the right combination and what we were watching occur with dad were just the yellow flags. We knew that the day was coming that this wasn't gonna work anymore. And we tried respite care program to give, uh, I think Sharon made the point, you gotta take care of yourself. You can't, uh, you can't care if you aren't able to care. So you do need to find ways that, that, don't, that don't harm you in your effort to, to give care. But uh, every situation is different. Um, the day that we took, my, my mom had died, the day we took my dad into a memory care unit in Bellevue for Alzheimer's, he never knew that he left, didn't, had not left. I was, he was that far beyond. The other thing I learned is, and this is dementia, and that's a growing issue. I learned somewhere along the way, uh, don't try to reason with someone who's lost the ability to do so. Um, because if they get it in the moment, they don't have it the next. And um, choose your battles, you know, was, was another thing that I, I learned along the way. And uh, tell them what they need to hear in order to, um, to accommodate what's, what you're going on. You don't have to necessarily outly, outright lie. Uh, there may be times where you don't tell the whole truth, you know, so that, so that you can get get someone to bed you know or food in their mouth or whatever so um, car keys was a big deal and I did listen this mention this in the list and um, I'm saying it knowing that there will the the day that the car keys get taken from me will be a hard day Uh, Bill Wilkerson Center of Vanderbilt is your ace in the hole if you live in this area uh, they will do a driver assessment test. The, uh, once you go on certain medications, they can prescribe a visit to the Bill Wilkerson Center, and they do an assessment test. So the decision about the car keys now goes to the state in, that, in a good way so that, it, so that it's not you and, in, in, in my case, me and my kids trying to figure out when does Tony stop driving. I want Vanderbilt to help determine that you've got 60 days to appeal their decision. Dad was so mad, he, uh, <laughs> he didn't know what, he forgot what appeal meant, but um, um, it really was a good issue. We let him um, have the keys um, or he still had access to the keys in the house. And then we learned that he had made a couple of trips without a driver's license. So we had to get the keys away and we had to, we had to do that behind his back um but then he, he then he advanced to the point where he had a key that he thought was the car key it just didn't work in his car um so that was for his own safety his own dignity and his safety it was a part of the whole map forward kind of how do you preserve dignity um love um the the uh, i heard more tender things from him the older that he got the last Uh, My dad never said, Tony, I love you. He never said it, never. The last time, I kept saying it every visit uh, uh, near the the last couple of years, I would make sure I said it to him. And the last time I remember saying it to him, his response was, well, okay. (laughs) That That was progress, you know, for him to be able to say, well, okay, all right, I hear you. I just wanted him to hear it. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Thank you. Well said. yes. Yes. Good. Thank you. Thanks for saying that too.
1: Yeah. Because you feel like you're so uh, you want to be selfish like uses selfish.
0: But there's a point that, you know, they were trying to tell us from the outside in that um, it's not self that you're yourself Right. You don't have anything to give. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it yeah. Yeah. And there are respite programs out there. That's for you as caregiver. Uh, it didn't work in our case. Dad uh, was started walking home. He got out the wanted to walk home. He wasn't sure which way to go. But, but, uh, but a respite program can be, um, some of that relief where it's sort of like daycare, you know, and it's something that's worth, worth exploring. Uh, the handout on palliative care is here. If you're interested in knowing more of that, learn about living wills, uh, durable power of attorney, all that. There's, there's things that you need to learn about. And sometimes you don't know to ask about, but, um, but there's plenty of resources. I started a very short list at the bottom of the handout. It's called Resources of Beginning. And if any of you have things that you want us to know about, either websites or books or articles that, that you have found helpful, we're going to compile you know some of those. So send them my way, and, and um, we'll make that available. Um, any other thoughts here as we begin to wrap up or questions? Yeah. To be we yeah. Really stop and look and yeah. and right down like, oh, yeah and great opportunity to share the not, not and that's do. Kind of a joy. great, great good, thanks for saying that uh, there's plenty more we can talk about um, in terms of the team, the caregiving team. It's in our case, it was just getting the word out, asking around. Hey, do you know anybody that does this sort of thing? And and there, people like that are out there. Uh, uh, Finishing our course with joy, guidance from God for engaging with our aging is a little book, a very readable, wonderful little book by J.I. Packer. Thinking of it, his own years. Um, and thinking about how do we age well, uh, I would commend that and, and the other things here uh, to you. Let me pray for us, and we'll we'll wrap up. Father, what a, what a big subject that we've just scratched the surface. Thank you for um, the hope that you give us, that we're not alone in this matter. Would you give us all grace to age well, to uh, recognize our own need for depending upon you and even receiving help from others. We thank you for the, the encouragement that it is to know that, that we belong to you and that you are committed to our well-being to the end. And that, as we read from the Psalms, that, that we can expect that our lives would bear fruit, uh, even into our old age. So thank you, Father, for that, for the, for the dignity that is ours in Christ, for the righteousness that is ours, for the hope of an empty tomb. And we know that you give us, you number our days, and we thank you for that. And you love our parents. Lord, would you show us what it means to offer and to provide uh, the right and appropriate care at the right time, to make hard decisions, but to do so prayerfully seeking your will grace and mercy to extend to others, to love well, to express our our love uh, to one another, and to receive the care that comes from you uh, through family, through even agencies, through respite programs. Um, Lord, we're grateful that you're committed to us along the way in this journey. We pray for wisdom and courage and faith. In Christ's name. Amen. Hey, thanks very much. Yeah. Was, oh it's per- yes, just right. Yeah. It's yeah, it's just kind of